Good morning. I can attest that Michael has always made my job easy and always had my back. And I feel like anyone who ran sound during the last two years of all the COVID shifting deserves like an all-inclusive vacation to Cabo or somewhere <laughs> because he has rolled with so many things and I'm just deeply grateful and would echo everything Scott said. So my name is Olivia. If you haven't met me before, I haven't met you. And I'm just so deeply humbled and grateful to have a job where I get to share good news and hope with people. And um, I don't, I try to never take it for granted. Um, and normally you probably have seen me leading worship. I've done that for a lot of my life. And years ago, when I, probably a decade ago, when I was leading worship at a different church, um, I, we had been doing this, the old hymn, I'll Fly Away. Do any of you know this song, I'll Fly Away? And I had come up with this like bluegrass, kind of swampy Louisiana jazz version. I was excited, I had like an upright bass player. And you probably know I love soulful music by now. And so we did this song, I'll Fly Away, um, which says, like one of the verses says, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy will never end. I'll fly away. And so after this service, um, another one of the worship leaders that was a part of the staff, who was also, for context, a decade younger than me, probably 21 or 22 at the time, said to me at our next meeting, um, Olivia, I don't think, sorry, I'm going to try to not say this snarky, I don't think we should do All Fly Away anymore because people don't want to come in here and sing about death and dying. <laughs> And that's when I have to try to not be like a little less Christian. I have to try to like filter my thoughts and you know, have my face not react because I thought, well, you're definitely not thinking about death and dying. You're 21 or 22. And um, like, why are you telling me what to do? You know, I just, I just felt really defensive also. And I was like, it was a really good arrangement. And um, I also thought, that's funny because I thought this song was about hope in heaven. Um, and so I had to try to filter all of this and, you know, say it nicely. But as it turns out, people are indeed thinking about death and dying. Um, many years ago, when I was starting out as a worship leader, one of my mentor people, um, which is important to have people who are farther along in the journey than you and who are a couple decades ahead of you, um, and she gave me this book called A Resilient Life. It's by Gordon MacDonald. And in this book is this chapter that really helped inform a lot of things about worship leading for me. And it's this chapter where this guy, Gordon McDonald, who's a pastor, who was around in his 60s at the time, was hired to come to a worship leaders conference. So he has his speech prepared. He goes into the room and he realizes that all of the worship leaders are in their 20s or 30s. And so he kind of scraps this whole thing he has planned to tell them and he wonders how many of them know what the average person in their congregation is coming in here with. What are the questions they're asking? What's occupying their mind? And so this sets Gordon McDonald and his wife on this journey of researching, and they researched, like, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people, but they researched for a while, asking people of all ages, whether they have a faith background or any belief system or not, they asked them, what are the questions that you are asking in this decade of life? And then they consolidated all the research, and from the 20s all the way to, like, 80s, 90s, they split up the decades and the major questions that the majority of us are asking in each decade of life. And this is what they found for the 60s, the decade of the 60s. I'm not going to read all. I wish I could spend a whole sermon on this, but I'm going to read a couple of them. 
Who will be around when I die? If I'm married, which one of us will go first? And what is it like to say goodbye to someone with whom you have shared so many years of life? Are the things I believed in capable of taking me to the end? Is there really life after death? And then you go on to the 70s and the 80s. I feel bad, I don't know if they actually did the 90s, but um, I'm sure you could lump some of these in. And these are powerful. Does anyone realize or even care who I once was? And this one gets me. Is anyone aware that I once owned or managed a business, threw a mean curveball, taught school, possessed a beautiful solo voice, had an attractive face? Is my story important to anyone? Why this anger and irritability? Is God really there for me? Am I ready to face death? And when I die, how will it happen? Will I be missed? Or will the news of my death bring relief? Heaven, what's it like? These are questions that people are asking, whether they actually say it or not. And so I think we need to sing all fly away. But if you also, if you want this, I have copies I could send it to you. It, every decade is super powerful. And I think it's important to know um, because we, this is how we gain empathy. This is how we know where we turn to in scripture, what podcasts we listen to, what people need is based on these questions they're asking. And so today we're going to turn to John 14 because the disciples are asking some questions and they're about to go through a really hard time and Jesus knows what questions are on their minds. So if you could turn to John chapter 14, we've made it to chapter 14, y'all, we're doing it. And we are going to look at the first half of John 14 today, verses 1 through 14. And it'll be on the screen behind me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home, more than enough room. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. <clears throat> and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And God bless these people that are in the classroom that ask the questions. We're all thinking, but we're too afraid to ask. Thomas says, no, we don't know. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's saying, I'm right in front of you. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is acutely aware of these questions that are on the disciples' hearts and minds, that they're not asking, but they're thinking. And he is addressing the biggest need that they have, which is comfort, right? They need assurance. They need confidence 
in who Jesus is, where he's going, and what's going to happen. And that's really for all of us, for all of Jesus' followers, all of humanity, what we need. We need to know. We need to have this deep assurance, not this like 90%, but all the way rooted assurance and comfort in that what we cannot see actually exists. And if we look at the context of the events leading up to this, we know that it's been an, an intense time. So when we read these words, we have to kind of back up and, you know, like in the movie and see what has led to this. We know that the authorities have been trying for quite a while to trap Jesus, to kill him. He's escaped being stoned a couple times. And the disciples can feel this tension building. Because in about 48 hours, Jesus is going to be on a cross. And so we know Jesus has had his last meal with his friends. He's tenderly washed their feet. One of his closest friends has literally walked out the door during the dinner to betray him, to sell him for not very much money. Like he's nothing. And so all of this has been happening. And Jesus also knows what the disciples are going to endure after this. After he dies, after he's resurrected, after they're, they're left without him, he knows that out of the 11 disciples that are left right now, 10 of them are going to be martyred for their faith from what we know from history. That John is the only one who's going to live to old age. The rest of them, all 10 of them are going to be martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus and for trying to begin what was what the early church was and for sharing about Jesus. And so he is telling them right now, this, isn't, this earth, this very broken earth is not the end and I'm gonna be with you. He's giving them comfort and massive assurance. And how does he do this? Let's go back to verse one of chapter 14 where he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now I'm gonna show you the Greek and I know that pastors do this all the time. You probably get sick of it, but the Greeks are better. They have better yogurt, they have better words. It's just the way it goes. And English kind of just dumbs things down. So this is why we do this, but I'm gonna show you the Greek word for troubled is, and I'm gonna butcher it, terasestho. And it means this, this is why I love the Greek words because they have imagery. To be tossed to and fro like restless waves, agitation, restlessness, terrified to trouble the mind with fear and be unsettled. And then it goes on to say, to put in motion like it's agitated, that which needs to remain still, to cause inner perplex perplexity, emotional agitation from getting too stirred up inside, to cause one inward commotion, take away one's calmness of mind. This is important, disturb one's equanimity, like literally your equilibrium in your heart and your mind is off, to disquiet and make restless. And this is what Jesus is saying, don't be troubled. Notice he's not saying don't grieve. He's not saying don't be concerned, because those are different. And those are not sinful things to grieve or to have concern, right? But he's saying don't be troubled. Don't be like, like you're in the ocean, like the, when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus is with them and asleep, and they're freaking out. This past summer, um, my family and extended family got to do this long-awaited vacation we'd been trying to do before COVID. So it was a redo vacation to Hawaii planned for all of these special things like my sister's graduation and my stepmom's retirement and all these wonderful things. And so we got to go to Hawaii, which is amazing and a little slice of paradise. The only problem is that I didn't know going into Hawaii, I'd been on a different trip and I had gotten a parasite. <laughs> I will not show you pictures of this because it's disgusting. But I go into this Hawaii trip, which should be, 
you know, amazing. And I feel terrible. I actually got the parasite called Giardia. Um, and uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. It's magical. And so I go into this trip and part of our, one of our things we did while we were in Hawaii was go out on in the ocean on a boat. I already struggle with seasickness. Like I have gotten seasickness on a cruise, you guys. This is how bad <laughs> my, I do not have a steel stomach. So when you mix seasickness with a parasite and giardia, it's I don't know, it's a puke fest. There's no other way I can say it. And so I am out on this ocean. We're trying to snorkel on the Nepali coastline, which is one of the most photographed coastlines in the world. It's beautiful. And I am doing mental gymnastics. I'm thinking, I literally said the alphabet forwards and backwards. I quoted in my mind every scripture I could think of because this was like a three or four hour boat ride. I threw up multiple times. I got to be good friends with the lady who hoses off the side of the boat. I, the only good thing is I think I made snorkeling better because I fed the fish. So it was horrible. And when I read this do not be troubled section, that's what I think of. I picture literally how I felt that day, just, you know, up and down, up and down. And this, I cannot, I can't make myself feel better because I'm so agitated and just, I just need some relief. I need it to stop. And Jesus is saying, don't be troubled because I'm with you. Trust me. Trust me. And there's this song that is in my top favorite three songs, probably of all time, called Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. You need to listen to it on a record, an actual record. And it says, when you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side when times get tough, when friends just can't be found like a bridge over troubled water. I will lay me down. And Jesus right now, like 48 hours before his death, is telling his disciples, I'm going to be the bridge over this very troubled water. I'm going to literally lay my life down for you. And that's how you're going to make it. He is this non-anxious presence. Have you ever known people like that? They walk in a room and they just like suck out the stress. They're just like this super non-anxious presence. And that's how Jesus is in this very tense scene. And what I love is that he gives them something concrete. We see this a lot with Jesus where when there's things that are really like heady and abstract, he'll bring it down to something with our senses where we can touch it, we can taste it. He does this when he has his resurrection and he meets his disciples on the shore and he cooks them breakfast, which is my favorite thing in the world. I could have it for every meal and he makes them breakfast and feeds them fish and shows them his hands. He's like, I'm really real, I'm not dead. He does it with little kids like Scott today. I was thinking of it in the dedication. He picks up and scoops up the kids and says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he does this in this passage and he gives them something to look forward to that's gonna be concrete. And he says in verse two, there is more than enough room in my father's home. In lots of versions it says, in my father's house are many mansions. My kids, when they were little, thought it was mansions. We had a little song we played, like C-H-I-N. So I always think of that. There's mansions. You're picturing bedrooms, something concrete. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come. He's promising them and get you. So you'll always be with me where I am. And because we haven't been there, we picture heaven, I think, sometimes like this. And it's Nothing against this very famous painting, but they look a little aloof to me. They look a little bored. And I don't think 
we're going to be bored in heaven. If you're picturing singing for 24-7, I, don't worry. I don't, I don't think it's going to be. I think, if you go to the next slide, like these are pictures just of Oregon in the summer because this is why we've hung in here all these months, right, people? This is going to happen very soon. We've got Mount Hood. We have Crater Lake. You have Cannon Beach and Haystack Rock, and then you have the Willamette Valley and the vineyards. This is what God has made. I'm like, this is not what humans have made. And if he can make this on earth, on this very broken earth, what can he do in heaven? Which is going to be even better. I can't imagine it. I had a friend who died of cancer. You can just leave it up for a little bit, Dan. Thanks. I had a friend who died of cancer very early in life, and it's still to this day one of those questions I ask God that I don't get this side of eternity. And she said to me when she was close to her deathbed that she, in between consciousness when she was fighting cancer and all these drugs, that she um, heard the sound of heaven. That she, and she tried to describe it to me because she knows how much I love music. And she said, Olivia, there is nothing I've ever heard on this earth that I can even compare it to. Because it was like in the faint distance, you know, in between the consciousness, she could hear this. And it just gave me so much hope that I can't even fathom what heaven is like. And Jesus is saying, there's more than enough room. I'm preparing this place for you. And it says in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. The creator and sustainer of life is preparing a home for you and for me. And for some of you who've had really great homes and really great families that might feel, I don't know, like a downer, like you might almost be scared. Is it going to be better? I, I love my home. I love my family. And for some of you who've never experienced home and permanence and like that you've always longed for a family that was healthy and that you just could like be yourself with unconditionally, this is going to be that home for you. This is going to be that place for you. What's interesting is that if you research other religions, most of them don't have an afterlife. Some of them do, and it's like a reincarnation kind of thing where you might come back as a dog or as who knows what based on how many good things you've done in this life, right? And if you really go and research these religions, like this is all there is. And I don't know about you, but I need more than this world, right? And I ran into somebody um, who, who had come from like a, a Hindu background. And she said to me, as we were talking, she was processing her mom's death. And she said, I would rather believe in a religion like Christianity, where there's a God that loves you, where you could spend eternity with that God and with your loved ones who believe in Jesus together than to believe in nothing. And, you know, when you see people that are... are are really struggling with this and the hope that Jesus is offering, he's helping them face their fear of death because the worst thing in life isn't death. It's not knowing Jesus. And he's trying to, to help them live and face his death, which is about to come, and their own death later on. And I think what, when we start to focus on death all the time, it does something to us. When we focus on death without hope, um, some of you know, because I've mentioned it before in other sermons, that a few years back, um, I got a heart diagnosis, 
And for that entire year of the first year of my diagnosis, I thought about death. I mean, it's part of the grieving process. I just was highly aware of my mortality. I was in my 30s, and I was like the only one with my natural hair color in the cardiologist's office, and I just felt really fragile. And I, I remember taking these meds that I still take today. I take every day and every night. And instead of thinking of taking these meds as, this is going to help my heart get stronger, I thought, this is going to keep me from dying. Does that make sense? Like the way you think about everything was being filtered through this mindset of death rather than life. And Jesus is telling them, I'm going to help you face your fear. I'm going to help you live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I love that he does this and tries to assure them, even though they're not, they're going to have to have faith. They're going to have to trust because there are going to be things they can't see. When I was pregnant, I kind of went to my, my friend who'd had kids before me, and I basically brought my journal, and, like a notebook and pen. I said, I'm just going to sit here at your house all day and watch you and take notes, because I had no idea what I'm doing. Like, I've logged more time learning how to type than be a parent. This is ridiculous that they're going to trust me with these small humans. And, and so I was just taking notes, and she was talking to me about the bedtime routine, because bedtime is exhausting with children, usually. And so her kids were at this stage where they were like in the big kid bed, but they had to stay in the big kid bed and they transition from the crib. And they have to not leave their room because it's not good when like a two-year-old wanders the house in the dark at night. <laughs> and so she and her husband told their kids, you need to stay in this bed. And even though you can't see me, I'm here. I'm in this house. And if you need me, you can come and get me. But you have to believe, you have to trust that if you really need me, if something happens, that I'm going to be here for you but you can't see me, you have to just turn the lights off and stay in your bed. And they would, in very like little kid terms, explain to their kids, this is how it is with Jesus. You can't see him, you can't see heaven, but you have to believe, you have to trust that I am here for you. And I loved that imagery. Their kids, you know, still would get out of bed. And, but you have to just keep going back to this and keep instilling this trust and this belief. And I remember doing that with my own children and then they took it one step further when they were little and they would ask, okay, but where are you going to be in the house? Like, what room are you going to be in? They wanted to be able to picture, if they needed me, how do I get there? Like, in the dark. I need to know exactly where you're going to be. And this is what Thomas is asking. He's saying, Lord, no, we don't know. Where are you going to be? We have no idea. How can we know the way? And Jesus tells him, I am the way, like we sang, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He's giving them this confidence and assurance about what they do not see, like it says in Hebrews. And I think the significance of the truth piece is big for us in our culture. There's been a shift in the last, I don't know, a hundred, couple hundred years where like early Christian thinkers used to think that truth could be discovered through rationality, reason, and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And I've been reading different studies lately um, that have been researching more of the last like 20 years, last two or three decades, even with church going people. And it says, that among people who attend church, 50% say that truth is up to the individual. That, they, that this is what people think. It, that it's not something out there to be discovered or found. It's basically this idea of pluralism, that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, and that there's no real way to define it. And that's a hard place to live. And Jesus is saying, I'm the road. You want to know how to get there in the dark when you're afraid in bed? Where, is, where do I go? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. 
And so my question, because I think we all come in here with questions like I started with today, is what are the barriers for you that are keeping you from believing that? And I think for most of us, those barriers are, come down usually to the problem of pain and suffering. Like theodicy, what, where is God in suffering? A lot of researchers have also found that most people don't have a problem believing in God's godness. They have a problem believing in his goodness. And I think we've all been there. I've been there. I mean, that's what the Psalms are. And I'm excited because this summer we're going to take a break from John and do a summer in the Psalms. Like the Psalms are literally David and a lot of other people like pounding God's chest saying, where are you? I need you. Don't you care? And the longer we, we walk with Jesus, the, I don't know how else to explain it, but the closer we get to hearing his voice, to understanding the character of God, to trusting the nature of God. And that's why Jesus is telling Thomas and Philip, haven't you seen? You've been with me like for three years or so. And you've seen these things and you have to trust me. You have to know that I do care about you and I'm going to take care of you. I have another friend who um, recently shared about losing her son, her little baby son. And I want to read to you this today because when I read my, what my friend Annie shared, I, and I asked her for permission, I messaged her and I told her I was preaching this Sunday and I just said, I think this is what I need to share as I close my sermon. And she just gave me her blessing and said, if this can help anybody, please share it. And so she recently, after six months, um, of her since it's since she lost her infant son, she shared these words, and I think it addresses this issue of these barriers that 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 make it hard for us to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and these questions we have, and it'll be on the screen behind me if you are a audible type learner, audio learner, you can just close your eyes and listen if you like to visualize things. You can look on the screen, but this is what she says, and she just wrote this um, about a week ago. It is Wednesday, May 11th. For most of you, this is probably just an ordinary day. For myself and our family, it is the six-month marker of a day in which our lives would never be the same. We woke up on the morning of 11-11-21, missing the presence of our sweet baby boy, Everest. As many of you know, he died suddenly and unexpectedly only 44 hours after being born. Born just after midnight on the 9th of November, sweetly brought home with us just before noon on the 10th, and then suddenly passing around 8.30 p.m. that evening. Our lives will never be the same. Six months have passed. We are still here. And we want you to know we are still trusting God, and we are still proclaiming his goodness. Both Chad and I are well aware that this journey hasn't been traveled alone we know that many of you have been praying for us and with us, grieving for and with us, and many of you have supported us in various ways that have truly made the journey through this unknown wilderness manageable. Thank you. The grieving journey the last six months has felt much like a family pioneering from east to west in the 1800s with wilderness unknown, seemingly impossible terrain to travel across and facing the harsh reality that basic human survival is no longer simple. Just like them, we've had to embrace adaptability, flexibility, humility, forgiveness, and courage to do what it takes to keep going. For us, these postures of the heart are only possible as we have decided to keep God first, which has not been easy by any means. 
I felt compelled to write to you all today and shed some light on the real challenges that grieving has introduced to our lives. I share not for the sake of arousing some kind of empathy or sympathy, but rather to encourage you on your journey with and toward the things of God. Since the loss of our sweet son Everest, I personally have had many mental health challenges, some stemming from the physiological changes that happen within a mother's body postpartum and others from the trauma experienced in the loss. Physical anxiety, stress, and pain in my body compounded with daily triggers all competing for space within my mind has been treacherous territory to navigate. These things have impacted our marriage, our family dynamic, our business, our finances, the blow of our loss has touched every aspect of our lives. To say things have been turned upside down is an understatement. The way life was done prior to our beautiful son being born will never be the same. All of life has been shaken. But I will tell you one thing has remained constant, stable, reliable, unchangeable, and unshakable. And that is the power of God's word. God's word is powerful apart from us, but we only experience the power of it when we put it into practice by abiding by it. And one might ask, what does that even mean? I love Annie. It means this, what God has said still stands. Amen. No matter what happens in this life, nothing will change what God has established and what he has established is outlined in his word and it is available to each of us if we desire it. And the power in God's word will work for any of us any of you, if you practice it. And sometimes the practice of God's word is as simple as a posture of heart because God looks at the heart, not our outward appearance. I've learned God's grace still stands. His love still remains. His healing is still available. His mercy and kindness are enduring. No matter what state I have been in over the past six months, unable to get out of bed, barely functioning in a state of anxiety or complete pain, or momentarily put together and okay, none of my shifty emotional conditions change God. His love still stands, his goodness is still good. And for that, I'm thankful. It is so contrary to what we experience in our day-to-day -day walk with one another, isn't it? We are often moved by how others are feeling or what they think of us or how they treat us. I am thankful that God isn't affected by my state of being. He is simply with us in our mess, in our good moments, loving us, always loving us. And he is with you. Whatever state you are in, he is loving you through it. And he is, his love is leading you. Will you follow? Will you posture your heart to let him lead you? Amidst all of the hard, my friends, I must testify that God is ever-present and active in knowing and caring for our every need, daily, moment by moment. Each hardship, unknown, anxiety, flare-up of anger or fear, and there have been many, has been met with the undeniable grace of God. Everyday little graces have shown up, kindness from a stranger, a text message received at impeccable timing, meals delivered, or simply a hug. All of these things have been little gifts and reminders that God sees and cares. God cares for us. He cares for you. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. <clears throat> Jesus tells us in verse 12, of John chapter 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. As Pastor Scott always says, and, it, and I just try to marinate this in my mind, for God's glory and for our good. And it's not like this vending machine prayer, we just get to like push the button and order it up. It's 
praying in Jesus' name, the will of the Father, coming to God. And we're here today, and I just wanted to take some time before we sing our last song to pray for all of you, to invite you to pray with me. These questions, like what would your decade questions say right now if you were to list them out? What are the things occupying your mind that you've come in here with? Because it says, Jesus tells us, you can ask for anything in my name. And I think I know personally sometimes I struggle with that because I don't want to ask for fear that it won't happen because I don't want to feel like God's letting me down or I, I just, I, there's some messed up theology that can, that can happen up here. And there's no harm in asking, right? Especially when we're together, when we have God's people, we have God's spirit here, we have God's word. So I'm just gonna pray for some things. And as I do, I just invite you to pray along with me, to, to risk praying those things. And then we're gonna close and worship together. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that you are real that Jesus is real, that the resurrection happened, that you are preparing a place for us, for your kids, that we have the hope of heaven, that we can have assurance and confidence, Lord. Whatever age we are, whatever stage we're at. And so we come together in your name with, with your kids and we believe together Help our unbelief, Lord. We ask, I specifically ask today for the things that are on my friends' hearts and minds. I ask boldly, Lord, that those who have been struggling with infertility, that you would do a miracle. However that looks, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring them life that there would be light where there has been darkness, where there has been weariness, Lord, I pray that you would reap joy. Lord, I pray for our loved ones that don't know you. I pray for kids and for family members and friends that are so close to our hearts that we ache for because we just, we want them to know. We want them to have this hope. And we don't even know sometimes how to get that across or how to, how to share that in a way that doesn't feel like we're shoving it down their throats. And, and I pray, Lord, for these, these names, these people, that your Holy Spirit would be so tender and so loud in their life that literally this week that something would happen that shows them there is more to this life and that you are a God who cares, that you are a good God. Lord, I pray for addictions. We are in a super addictive culture and there are so many false gods and so many things that bring us comfort that don't bring us the comfort you do. And so I pray for addictions that have substances attached to them. I pray in Jesus' name that you would break those strongholds, that you would break those patterns I pray for things we're looking at, images that we are addicted to that only bring death, that only bring darkness and division in families. Lord, I pray that you would literally repattern our minds, that you would repattern our fingers, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, change the game, Lord. We believe that you are that powerful, that your Holy Spirit that is alive in us, that rose you from the dead, can do it. 
And Lord, I pray for people with health issues right now that are like me, that are thinking about death more than life. And I pray that you would bring healing, Lord, and not just physical healing, but I pray you would bring heart and mind healing. I pray that you would give them the resiliency of the Holy Spirit. I pray that they would actually, in their suffering, know you more and more closely and that you would strengthen their belief and their trust in you. Lord, we just bring you all of the things right now and we just hear you say, like you said to your disciples, trust me, believe in me, I'm making a place for you, and I'm here, and I'm going to be with you. We love you, Lord. Um, we're so thankful that we don't have to do this life without you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor Olivia was speaking this morning, I was reminded of uh, a breath prayer that I learned this week. And a breath prayer is just simply a prayer that you can breathe or pray in a breath, right? It's just like, Lord, help me. And here's what it is. I think it, it really relates and it will give us something we can maybe take as we leave from this place. It's, uh, God, humble me in the presence of reality. And as I thought about that prayer, I was like, ah, that sounds like you're just trying to bring me down a notch, which I need often, right? Like, it's okay. But here's how I retranslated it in my mind so I could really understand. It was, it was God, ground me in what is true. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples that day. He was grounding them in what is true. He was grounding them in himself. He was grounding them in Jesus. So take that, that breath prayer with you today as, as we face untruth and a lack of reality in the world that we live in and ground yourself in what is true. And let me just pray a, like a prayer of blessing as you go from this place. The way that Paul prayed for the Corinthian church at the end of 2 Corinthians when he says, may the grace of Jesus Christ and may the love of God the Father and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.